Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Fisherman's Post Saltwater Podcast Series. This episode is titled Bottom Fishing Beyond the Break. I'm talking to Captain Byron Schultz of Going Bogue Outdoors out of the Atlantic Beach area. We're going to be talking about depths in relation to species, rigs and tackle, rod and reel setups, fishing conditions, and boat handling. So a lot to talk about. My name is Gary Hurley of Fisherman's Post. Fisherman's Post has been serving the saltwater fishing community of North Carolina since 2003, bringing you fishing reports, fishing information, fishing tournaments, fishing schools. And here in our latest and greatest effort, the Fisherman's Post Saltwater Podcast Series, where we reach out to our captain and guide friends from up and down the North Carolina coast and ask them to share with us their insights, their knowledge on how to catch more fish more often. And in this endeavor, in this creative project, I am joined this week, just as I am every week, with Billy Thorpe of Thorpe Creative. Welcome back to the remote studio, Billy Thorpe. Hey, what's up, Gary? Good to see you, man. You've been having a good week so far. Everything good? I have been having a good week. You know, spring is in the air. You know, we're not quite there, but it's in the air and uh, excited about the season ahead, just as I'm excited to talk to Byron about one of my favorite offshore pursuits, the old bottom fish. Yeah, I imagine you've been on his boat many times while he's putting the rod in your hand <laughs> after he hooks the fish, it's things like that. So, yes, I can go way back and talk about all those times. I'm excited to hear. Hey, remember when you hooked that fish and you handed me the rod? Yeah, that was fun. And then that other fish where you like brought it halfway up and then asked me if I wanted to finish, and I said, sure. Yeah, that was great. Those were good times. Yeah, I imagine so. That's a lot of your stories. We should do another, we should do an additional podcast per week called Gary's Fishing Stories. Uh, like, and it's just called He Handed Me the Rod with Gary Hurley. <laughs> what do I do with this? <laughs> oh, man, too much fun. And maybe may our sponsors will sponsor that second show too. Um, so we, we do have some amazing sponsors for the show uh, for this episode. We got, um, Bland Landscaping. So let me go ahead and pull up their graphic here. If you're watching this, this is Bland Landscaping Company, and they are looking for people, men and women, who like to be outdoors, who like to, to get up early, go to work, get off early, be with their family, their friends, uh, cracking a cold one and hanging out on the boat and hanging out hunting and all that kind of stuff. So our kind of people, they support the show. We really appreciate them. Um, and then also they do a slew of different types of projects. Just go on their website, uh, blandlandscaping.com and you can see all the stuff they do. So maybe you want to hire them or maybe you want to work for them. So yeah, pretty good options there. Right on. Yeah. We love, love the relationship. Makes sense, man. I like, I like someone that their business model is take care of my employees and they'll take care of me. And it's a company I want to align with. And that might be a company you, you know, the people out there want to work for. Yeah, absolutely. And then next up, we got Marine Warehouse Center. You guys know them. They've been on for a lot of episodes now. I don't even know. over a, over Probably close to 100 with us, so we really appreciate those guys. <laughs> I don't know what episode this is, but it's pretty close. Uh, so we've got a quick word from them, and we'll be right back. Marine Warehouse. Warehouse, we have everything. We have new boats. We have parts. We have accessories, new trailers. We have a complete service department with highly trained technicians. Anything you need to get out on the water, we have it. At Marine Warehouse Center, as we've grown over the last few years, now have a large section of marine supplies from start to finish for all your boating needs. What I love about this region is to be able to get out on the water, and also we love to be able to get you out on the water. The best part of working at Marine Warehouse is being able to get involved with the customers and share a love for the water. There you go, Gary, as always. They are, man. They're my people. And they're part of the fish and boating community. You know, they're also well underway getting ready for a new season. And, you know, and when I say they're part of the fish and boating community, you know, I can back that up with like so many examples. For one, they fish all of the Fisherman's Post inshore trail events, man, Ocean Isle, Topsail, Southport, Carolina Beach, Riceville Beach. Man, they fish, they compete, they're at the weigh-in, they're at the registration, man. You know, they, they don't want to just sponsor, they want to be a part of it. And I think that's part of their mantra in general with fishing and boating here in southeastern North Carolina and in Charleston area. Yeah, absolutely, man. And worldwide, they'll ship it to you and they'll ship product. And they also have some pretty dope apparel, too. So there is the hat. And I'm typically wearing it. Got a little 
damage on the back of my head. I don't want it, anything touching it. So I didn't still want to show off the hat, though. If you missed the hat. And for Steven out there, you know who you are. I got the camera mirrored right so you can read it. Since you're having trouble figuring out what the initials meant. Little, oh, man. little victories. Congratulations. Exactly. All right, Gary, I'm going to show you a fish picture, um, and, and we'll go from there. So here we go. We have James... Picklesimer hooked this gag grouper on cut Boston mackerel while fishing a live bottom uh, in 80 feet of water off of Topsail Island. Uh, good looking fish. I don't know if I've ever caught a gag grouper, Gary, but I know you have. I know you and your wife are grouper kings and queens. So. My wife, man, she's got the affinity for it, man. She's on yeah. the preferred list of captain dave gardner headboat von decay man she is on the grouper approved list when yeah. only accomplished grouper anglers can get on the private trip she is near the top of the invite list and little known fact leslie also hooks fish and hands gary the rod when she's on the boat. <laughs> no, she does not <laughs> she would not <laughs> that's great though i'd like to ask her that would be interesting <laughs> to ask her hey uh you mind <laughs> you, you care? Can I finish that for you? <laughs> hey, but listen, Terrell had not only a joke. I mean, I don't know if you call this a joke. Terrell asked if he could do a riddle. And oh, I said, a riddle. Okay. I said, sure, you can do a riddle because it's not like you're doing jokes. So oh, that's here mean, you go. Gary. Are you ready for Terrell's riddle? Slash joke? I don't know. You tell me what sure. it is afterwards. Three men are on a boat. They have four cigarettes, but nothing to light. The cigarettes with, what did they do? I don't know, man. This this reminds me of the grade school. How many strawberries does Susie have? I hate Susie. I never can no, figure it out. This is different. I'll tell you what they did. They threw one cigarette overboard, and the boat became a cigarette lighter. <laughs> okay, that's pretty funny. I was gonna give that the sad trombone. But it's actually, it's an, it, it deserves an applause. It's right, clever. Great. That was good. Thank you, Terrell. <laughs> Terrell works so hard. I'm a big fan of his. He comes up with this content, sends it to us. It becomes a, a big part of the show. I cannot believe that you crap on him as much as you do, Gary. But whatever, man. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey, uh, I'm going to remind you of Billy's Best Takeaway. But as we do before that, I'm also going to remind the audience out there that we are underway with weekly fishing reports. So weekly fishing reports online only behind a paid wall on fishermanspost.com, video and audio delivery. And again, these are only inshore reports here in our first year of offering them. We had a bunch of people sign up for the charter membership and we will be releasing these every week. Go to fishermanspost.com for more information. You know, it's all there on the website and uh, it's immensely popular already. And another great creative project for us, man. It's something I've certainly enjoyed and as i said getting back to the roots when fisherman's post first started it was a weekly paper and so it feels good it feels right it feels comfortable getting back to another weekly report delivery albeit much more updated in the video audio delivery yeah man it's gonna be good i'm excited we got a lot of a lot of great stuff lined up so can't wait to work on it get it all out there and for our members members only so come come check it out for sure and get it, get that special pricing so right. appreciate it man Billy's best takeaway when I come back from talking with Byron. But right now, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to introduce to the podcast, welcome him back to the podcast, Captain Byron Schultz, going bogue outdoors out of the Atlantic Beach area. Welcome back to the show, Byron. Hey, Gary. Thank you. It's great to be here again. Yeah, man. And uh, getting ready to talk bottom fish with you. However, as you know, it is tradition on the set to answer two questions before we get to the main event. Are you ready for question number one, sir? Go ahead. All right. Question number one. Why should we listen to anything you have to say about a bottom fish at bottom fish out past the break? Uh, I guess the best supporting argument for that is pretty much when shallow water grouper season ends in December, uh, January 1st for commercial fishing, uh, snowy grouper, as well as blue line tile fish, two species that are in this region of beyond the break bottom fishing are my main sources of income. I fish primarily in the deep, past 30 fathom curve, other than beeliner fish, um, pretty much January through May 1st. And that is a big chunk of time out of your year. 
to just be surviving off of pretty much only four or five species. Man, all right, I'm intrigued. I, I love this idea when you threw it out. I love the idea. So I'm looking forward to hearing what you have to say, you know, even being part of this. But as it goes, there's question number two, a non-fishing related question. And I, I have to set this up. Uh, originally, I think we were playing around with the word targeting bottom fish in the uh, title. So I was thinking targeting bottom fish is like fishing is shooting fish in a barrel, meaning it's very easy. I would like you to tell me of these three questions that a significant other can ask you, which of these three questions would you call the easiest to answer? Are you ready for these three questions? Go ahead. Is it easy to answer? What do you love about me? Is it easier to answer? What are you thinking? Or is it easier to answer? Tell me the truth. How do I look in this? I'd say the easiest answer is the third one, as long as you're not honest. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Hey, man, uh, bottom fishing beyond the break. I think we were talking about depths in relation to target species. So I guess you're setting us up with, you know, what can we can expect before we start heading out there and, and how we make it happen. Is that true? Sure. Yep, yep. That's uh, pretty much where we're going to start this off at. So uh, let me paint you a picture. Uh, standard issue, when you're going to the break, let me first start off with, you're probably not just going to go there to bottom fish recreationally. It's a long ride from most places here in Beaufort Inlet where we fish out of. You got about a 40 mile run, uh, big rock area, somewhere like that, where you're going to finally meet that 30 fathom curve that, that drops off deeper all the way up 60, 80, 100 in a matter of, of a, a couple miles. And when you go to those depths, usually you're gonna be targeting pelagic species. So dolphin, wahoo, tunas, sailfish, marlin, etc. Let's say you make all that big run and you've done it a bunch, you're burning a lot of fuel, which is really hefty this day and age. And it's just not quite panning out for you. You know, you're catching a few junk fish, you're, you're really not producing the level of, of meat that you want to bring home or excitement, and, and you want to mix things up a little bit. The, the beauty of it is you've now put yourself in a whole different realm of bottom fishing considered deep dropping to some, or for me, is just past the break. It's not technically deep dropping. We're not, we're not targeting swordfish here, but we are fishing in depths up to, you know, 100 fathoms, 130 fathoms for some of these big grouper and, and other tile fish. So I guess we'll take it back now to, you know, you get, you're getting out there and let's start talking about going down the slope. So we hit 30 fathoms, 30 to 50 fathoms for most people is where they're going to troll for Wahoo. As you're doing that trolling, you know, working up and down various rips, various tide and, and current and grass and other conditions you're going to target. Maybe he was bark, marking some bait, you mark some stuff on the bottom, take note of those things. Go ahead and just hit a mark on your machine as you come across some interesting bottom. It might not be per se an actual mark of fish or a cloud of fish on the bottom, but it might be a, a jagged edge that comes up and, and meets a, a nice point. And, and you may see some other structure down there and rock formations based on how your sounder is picking it up that, that looks intriguing. Those are all gonna come into play when it comes to targeting the various species that we're, we're going to shoot for in this beyond the break bottom fishing. All right. I follow. So, I mean, it does make sense with gas prices that we want a couple of options. So it's not even necessarily the main, the main event, but it should be absolutely part of the plan in case it's just not a banner day. And so you're out there. I mean, other than trolling and marking spots, are there other areas that you would just say, if I don't mark something, I know that these areas typically hold bottom fish. And I'm not talking about you who does it a lot and has machine marks galore in your machine, but the recreational angler or casual angler you're addressing in the podcast. I mean, do they have to troll until they find something or is there another way to figure out where they might start the process? I would say in my history of gathering thousands of now waypoints of different various bottom structures that have held fish, the number one way of me finding them was based on just trolling a certain rip or following a tide break. Now, it depends on the level of transducer you've got on your boat to where you can actually mark something or not. 
for a long time, I had a skimmer transducer on the stern of my boat, and that just really didn't cut it when it came to past 50 fathoms actually being able to pick up the bottom at all. So in an essence, if you're shooting between 30 to 50 fathoms, you know, 180 feet to about 300 feet, as long as you find something interesting on it, there's no shame in just trying to drop a bait down vertically at the drift and just hit the bottom and fish along a ridge while the current takes you along and see what you pull up. I've had more often than not times where I've been re-rigging something or, or shifting gears from going from trolling for Wahoo to bottom fishing and going ahead and putting the rod out. And I've been surprised and more often than not that I find uh, some sign of life. And when you do that, when you actually do randomly drift into fish, it's always good also to lay a mark there. And if you're one of those people that you just don't have the technology or the capability to mark good bottom or mark good fish, or you're just new to it and you don't know what fish maybe even look like on your machine, uh, marking that spot and then going back to it and, and riding over it a few times and, and picking up the characteristics of saying, okay, what what caused that fish to be there? What what structural element did I not pick up on the machine? And what why did I just catch that yellow eye snapper or 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 large bee liner right there? So I follow that. So maybe I also just need to back up too, because like you do have a commercial license, but most people listening to this podcast, uh, watching this podcast don't. So back up for me again, because yeah, man, I love grouper fishing and there is that period from January to May where it just can't happen. So I guess make sure I understand for the guy who doesn't have a commercial license, what can they accomplish out there from January to May? And again, this is April. And so we're close to it. And then tell me what happened. Does it, does it change at all as I get into the summertime, you know, after the grouper season opens up? Like, let yeah, set let's, the stage for me about my possibilities. Yeah, absolutely. So as we're going out there this time of year, I mean, this is going to be the peak time of people putting the boat in the water for the first time and, and sending it out there trying to go find a wahoo, let's say. Or they just want to go bottom fish, but they know grouper season is not open yet. That first little bit of the break, which I need to back up to, I like to get ahead of myself as well. It's just so exciting. Um, as you hit the break of 30 fathoms to the 50 fathom mark, you're picking up really large beeliners. I mean, we call them in commercial fishing the five-plus size. All the five-plus size beeliners, which are five pounds and greater, I've caught, have all been past 30 fathoms. And when you find them out there, it's a really exciting fish to actually catch. I mean, they fight really good when they're five pounds. Furthermore, uh, you'll catch what are called silk snapper, which are yellow eye. They look like an American red snapper, but they're not. They're called a silky, and they have a, a yellow eye is what they go for in layman's terms. Another great table fairing fish uh, that you'll also find this time of year that's not regulated until May. In that same water column, we'll find uh, what I'd call a silver, which is a red porgy, which is another excellent eating fish it looks like a silver snapper pretty much but it's it's a porgy actually and that's another fish that guys will target out there on the break um as we go deeper a lot of those blue line tilefish and snowy grouper which are going to be past 50 fathoms up to 80 on up to even 100 or 150 fathoms the blue line tilefish and snowy grouper are we're going to what it's going to open up in may as well as golden tile is another species okay so what are we going to do now, man? I, you know, again, this, this podcast is being released in April. So I guess just about everything is a possibility. We certainly want to know about blue line and snowy as well. I mean, I think there's a lot of curiosity there. Um, so what are we doing, man? You're out there and we're seeing some spots. You've got something that's intriguing. What happens next on the going Bogue boat? So, so I'll tell you what, what had happened the past two days. I fished yesterday and the day before. And I, I was I was hit with with two things that are very very difficult for deep dropping and bottom fishing past the break, and that is current. On Monday, I got out there in the deep, and I had five knots of current, almost a record for as much current as I've ever had. It had a little bit of wind behind it too, so I'm not attesting all five knots of that to current. But when you think about that in the realm of bottom fishing and getting your weight to the bottom on top of maybe a small structure piece that maybe only a few you know, a few feet wide or, or a cloud of fish that might only be, you know, a hundred foot wide on your machine. That's, that's a big task to predict how far up you're going to drift till you drift over those fish. Um, 
the best thing to do when it comes to that is if you see a hard break, and especially when the hard temperature meets. Yesterday, we had a 71 and a half degree temperature meet a 76.7. When I saw that, you could noticeably see the rip that that warm water, as well as the current, the tide that was with it. So as soon as I passed over that, even though I wasn't another two miles from my spot, I stopped. I went ahead and put the boat in neutral, and I saw how much current I had there because that's a good prediction of what I'll have further out, and it saved me a couple miles. So as soon as I came over that tide rip and realized I had about another four knots of current, kind of like Monday was, I just said, forget it. We're going to have to go and do something else because it's just inefficient and very tough fishing when you're trying to target these species with that much current. What is the number that tends to be the deal breaker? Like you can manage current up to what? And then after that, it's just a mess. So we'll go, we'll go through that based on maybe depth and also species. So these fish that are, are not married to the bottom, let's talk about bee liners, silvers, the red porgies, and, and even the yellow eyes. Those fish are a lot more able to be fished for effectively with current that cloud of fish, they may not follow your boat, but they'll at least swim off their direction and come and find your bait most of the time, as long as you're within their general vicinity. So that 30, 50, 60 fathoms, I'd say you could fish up to about three knots of current, maybe a little bit more even if you have enough lead to get down there and enough arm power to pull them up. Um, now, deeper, the snowy grouper especially, I want to have at least less than two knots of current in an ideal world, especially for the bigger fish, because I need to be very accurate with where I'm dropping my baits and I need to make sure I'm getting it right to the spot that I'm trying to get to. And that's a difficult task as we get deeper with larger baits using more lead and uh, anticipating a longer drift. And with all the data out there, with all the resources that can help you with planning a trip, I mean, there still just isn't a way to accurately predict what kind of current you're going to experience out that far, is there? There, you know, yeah, there's a few, you know, techniques you can use. The best thing to do is just pick up a, a ROFS or, or, a, or a rip chart subscription, which I'm not plugging either of those companies, but they're the most use, utilized, at least as far as uh, sport fishermen are concerned, and see where the hard temperature breaks are, and usually predict that that's where the current is going to begin. It's not always the case. But especially this time of year when that warm water is moving in or, or after a big uh, big front like we had come through, something like that that, that changes it up like that is going to be definitely a sign of, of hard tide. Um, there's, there's some free satellite shots of the water temps as well, but those tend to be a little less accurate. Okay. So if I, I'm not sure I'm understanding. So... If there is a hard temperature break, are you telling me if I stay inshore of it, inside of it, then I'll experience less current than if I cross over? Correct. Correct. Okay. So, so, so we, if you're looking at the coast here and all of a sudden you have like a, a, a yellowish color and it meets like a hard red, like a really hard to find red line, that's an indication of a hard tide. Now, if you see a, a, a general easing into that coloration, like not a very hard break like that, but if you see like a very subtle or even sometimes you'll even see what's like known as backing tide, where it's actually looping up and coming back the other direction, you can actually pick that up just by looking at the satellite shot. Um, the harder the break is, usually the more current that you'll experience on the far side, on that red side where the warmer water is. And that's just, uh, that can be typical of even, Later in the year, when you're not deep dropping inshore fishing for gags and other shallow water species, it's very consistent with that as well. All right, man. So we have a we have a fishable current. We've got options. It sounds like some options up the water column just a little bit, and then other options right on the bottom. And I'm on your boat. And what are you putting in my hand? Like what what's the rig or rigs that you like to have sort of at your disposal to see what's going to work best that day? So. The beauty of deep dropping is a lot of spots that hold fish hold a multitude of fish. My snowy grouper numbers hold blue line tiles. My red porgy numbers hold bee liners and groupers and maybe even a tile. So there's, there's a mixing and mendling that we kind of experience in these deeper, deeper depths. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to set you up with a rig that can handle it all. So I like to use a two hook rig with two three way swivels between them about 
18 or 20 inches off of both three ways and about three feet between the two swivels. And my top hook is going to be a smaller seven knot circle hook. And my bottom is going to be probably maybe a 10 or a 12, depending on if there's going to be groupers there, or I think there's going to be tile fits there. I think the biggest takeaway when it comes to rigs is you want to use a hook that you're not going to exclude yourself from catching something. And what I mean by that is if I know that there's grouper there, I want a big hook to make sure I don't pull them off. But I don't want to forgo catching a, a, a 10 pound tile fish or a five pound beeliner out there in the deep just because I think there's big grouper there. And so I only have big hooks because they're going to end up just picking the bait off there and you're not going to hook them. So, so pick a hook that's going to suit all these species, you know, when, especially when you first get started, once you kind of have a consistent catch of spots, you can start tailoring your rigs a little bit better to where you're, where you're at, where you're targeting and, and what you're catching. Man, uh, if you said it, I just, it just didn't resonate with me, but leader length. And I don't think you mentioned type of leader. So what about that? Do you have opinions? Sure. Um, honestly, this day and age, I just go, go cheap with it. I mean, I've caught 30, 35, 40 pound snowies on 80 pound monofilament, just a, just a normal scheme, you know, hundred yard scheme and a little, little pack like that is usually, you know, suitable for most fish. You will break them off and you will chafe them off. And that to me is more on what rod you're using and what reel you're using to pick them up more than the rig itself. If you're allowing the fish to pull drag on you or you're not able to suitably pull them up against the current or against the lead that you have there with, with a insufficient reel setup, that will cause the fish to chafe off more than just the fish being bit. So I guess, man, that sounds like a pretty logical segue into rod and reel setup. You know, I mean, it seems like you set this conversation up pretty nicely. I, I appreciate yeah. that. What do you got? So personally, I use the dial with the Tanacom 1000s. Um, they're efficient for me. They are suitable for a lot of different species. I'd say on the bigger end of groupers, you definitely got to know what you're doing as far as working the fish up. Uh, the Daiwa Tanacom does not like reeling against the drags. You'll burn through drag washers quicker than you know what to do with. Uh, so in an essence, you're really trying to set the drag harder and using the variable speeds of the reel to predict when the fish is digging and slowing the reel down. So you're not reeling against the drag, but you're also not letting the drag slip. Um, that's the best technique when it comes to the bigger fish with the Daiwa Tanacom. Um, the, what am I thinking about? The Shimano Beastmaster also has a feature where it'll actually do it itself like that. That's a very nice reel. Um, get into the bigger reels that a lot of guys use for sword fishing. I, I utilize, you know, LPs and, and hookers. These things are used for majority of commercial fishing. And we can actually lead this into also the catch and keep limits of these fish being relatively low to where a lot of the times if, if, if you're a sport fishing angler, there's no shame in just bottom dropping with with a rod and reel a hand crank combo um, especially on bigger grouper spots the recreational bag limit for snowy grouper is just one per vessel um, so so if you're only keeping one boat one fish on the boat uh, there's a lot to be said to be able to just hand crank that fish up from 600 feet rather than utilizing an electric reel um yeah man i follow that logic i'm with you out there and what about and i don't know what about bait i think you know, I, I guess that's the next logical choice here. Yeah. I, I fish with you. I know you like variety when I'm inside the break. What about when you're outside past the break? So I think the best way of thinking about it when you're out there is just putting something down there and making it stink. I mean, that's, that sounds so rudimentary, but it really does not depend other than maybe shark predation. If you have bad sharks, I wouldn't use something so bloody as maybe an albacore. Um, but my favorite baits personally, I'll go ahead and say are, I like using squid for the snapper, you know, the yellow eyes, the silkies, um, the red porgies will eat the squid, a snowy will eat a big chunk of squid or a whole squid. Um, but, but the tile fish and the other fish will, will bite away at it. So if you're going to target the snowy grouper specifically, I like using a whole Boston mackerel, a whole Spanish mackerel, a whole Spanish mackerel head, not a very big one, maybe a, maybe just a barely legal size Spanish mackerel frozen hole um, down there works great. And like I said, as far as it is what you got, like I said earlier, if you're 
out there trolling. You've got some ballyhoo that are prepped, and there's you just have nothing bite. You go, oh man, I'm gonna have to throw this away, or it's it's too far gone. Just cut it up into half it or or quarter it, and then put it down there on some hooks and see what happens. Because a lot of the times these fish aren't picky; they're hungry. And as you get deeper, they're 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 biting a lot off the scent and, and a lot off of, of of what they're picking up, not so visually because it's so dark where they live. And so, as far as the bait, I'll ask this question because you know. Again, I love to bottom fish, and and it seems to me like I'm battling keeping bait on the hook long enough. And now if we're dropping down even further, especially if you've talked me into trying to catch my snowy on a hand crank, I don't want to bring up an empty hook. I don't want to lose my bait just as soon as I get down there. So if you're hooking a whole Spanish, or I'm more curious, I guess, about the Boston mackerel because I use that regular. How are you hooking a Boston mackerel? I mean, what's your experience with trying to keep bait on the hook because it's down so deep. So I'll, I'll say the first thing that you'll experience deep dropping versus shallow water fishing, especially during the summer months is the lack of pecker fish. There are not ringtails that live in 300 feet of water. Thankfully um, you will not experience a lot of, of, of little fish pecking away at your bait like you do in the shallower water. It does happen. I mean, there's smaller tile fish and smaller other species that you're targeting that are just too small to get the hook in their mouth that will be down there and pecking at it. Uh, going back to the Boston mackerel, the fresher, the better. Um, if you've had some Boston that has sat around and you've thawed it, froze it again, thawed it again, froze it again, it's not going to stick on the hook too well. It's, it's going to be pretty rotten. Um, if, if you got a fish like that and, you, and you're running low and you got to use it, I just try to hook it maybe even through the gill plate or something around the head where you can kind of get the bone and spine through the hook through the circle hook and that tends to, to yield well to to taking the rod all the way down with your rig and your lead and, and actually getting a bite on it and so if we are drifting am i instructed to put it down on the bottom and we're going to drift it along the bottom is it give it a crank i mean what how do you you know if i'm on your boat how do you instruct me yeah so so now we're talking technique um so you've got a drift set up. The, the first thing, you know, if you got your mark and, and you're fishing this area and, and you know that there's fish there, you might've just been randomly drifting, you got a bite. Okay, reeled it up, found a fish and you marked it, went around and you found where the core fish are. I'm gonna figure out which way my boat wants to drift. Um, I, something I've covered, I think in our other podcast or maybe at the uh, Fisherman's Post School uh, up here in Moorhead, but every boat drifts different. And utilizing your engines to slow your drift and to help aid and not creating a tangle, especially if you're fishing more than one line is huge. That that's what separates people who are good at this and the people that are great from this is boat positioning and being able to accurately forecast where your lead's going to hit the bottom and being able to fish up to four, maybe six. Shoot. I know guys that would do it with 10 rods back in the day and, and drop uh, and be able to have nobody tangle and everybody catch a fish. And that really comes down to just, good boat handling and good predictions of, of both your craft and the, and the conditions. Is your goal for me to, if I'm on the boat for us to drop right down on the spot, or is it to get it down to the bottom right before the spot? I mean, are you trying to nail it perfectly or are you uh, allowing for some time to get into position? I, I would say that for me, it's current predict current predicting. So I'm going to try to hit it before the mark if I'm drifting in heavy current, you know, two, two and a half knots, I want to get it down a little bit beforehand. And then maybe I'll instruct you, everybody, you know, if we got a few rods running at once, I run up to four on my boat, everybody to pull up just for a second and then drop again. Cause I know on my machine, I can actually see the lead hit the bottom. And then so if the lead's here and you're paying out line, it's sitting on the bottom, I'm drifting away. And then I instruct everybody to pull up, we drift and I can see that the marker's right here. And I can see everybody and I say, okay, drop and we can hit it that way. Now, if I've got current where I'm dropping in 600 feet and I'm only drifting 150 feet and the time it takes to get down and catch a fish and pull up, I'm going to just try to hit them right on the head. Um, dragging the weights across the bottom will deter. Sometimes it seems to deter the snowy bites, um, the other fish, the snappers and, and, you know, even the tile fish tend to not, care as much but definitely with the larger group where you're going to notice a decline in your number of bites and, and your actual um, catching of a fish when there's a lot of current like that and you're having to drag that weight across the bottom 
and so I, I mean, I think you kind of alluded to this just at the beginning of that sort of follow up, but like, ideally I'm up and down, right? Ideally my line is up and down. It's not at an angle. Right. And so I guess my question is how much angle is too much angle to truly be effective. And if I am having an angle, is there a way to correct it without bringing it all the way up? So yes. Um, if you hit the bottom and your boat is drifting faster, because sometimes the tide, you know, for the most part, it's experienced up top and your line, that's the biggest thing your line will catch the current and scope out way big. So you, that's when you don't even hit the bottom when it's so rough, but say it's three knots of current, you, you're drifted away from the spot. Your lead's still back there. Trying to back the boat up and getting vertical over it is, is a huge component of, of making sure you get bites. Um, I don't bring a protractor on the boat. I don't know the optimum angle for line uh, angle as far as getting down to the bottom, but I, I try not to have the boat. I'm not, I try not to have the line sweep under the boat to each any way that a rod will chafe it as it comes up. I want to be vertical enough to where I'm, I'm only just maybe within a foot or two of, of the line being straight down. If you're looking at the surface of the water. And if we're targeting some of the fish that aren't right on the bottom, is that where you're seeing on the machine? And then you're basically telling me, give it four cranks, give it three cranks. Correct. I mean, are you, are you yeah. sort of guiding us along on that, in that capacity? Right. And, and for the most part, I just have people hit the bottom and a lot of times the fish will fall it down. But if there aren't any action on the bottom, I will tell people, okay, let's, let's pull up on the Tanacom. We, it's all in meters. So I'll say, let's, let's pull up five meters. You know, if you're at one, 80 let's go 175 or let's go 160 let's go 15 meters and 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 that is a great way to target those fish that come up the water column and you'll notice you know a lot of the times too you'll actually be able to get them to come up a little bit more and more off the bottoms where you might only have to drop halfway down the water column at some points um and that's that's great because you don't have to make as long a drift you don't have to drop as far and you're still able to catch fish the fish will start picking up on you dropping on them too especially and they'll start biting it on the way down. So if you're not, if, if you're pulling up and you're not feeling a bite and you're hitting the bottom every time, try stopping it earlier and seeing if they're biting it on the way down. Because you could be just missing them because they've learned that, oh, if I eat it on the way down to the bottom, it doesn't pull me up like it did Jimmy. Um, and that's, that's one of those things that it's kind of trial by fire and you can kind of either pick up on it or it might just be the fact that they're just down there and, and they're just swipers. You know, it might be a heavily fish number. They might be educated. So, yeah, I was wondering, I mean, I didn't even know if this was like a logical, sensible question, but it was like wondering, all right, you know, if I'm out there and there aren't the pesky peckers out there, like are most of the bites significant bites? Is that what's happening? Like there's like no doubt or am I still very much like at risk of missing? So I think the biggest component to the strength of the bite is how much current there is or how the conditions are that allow for me using the least amount of lead to be able to hit the bottom. If I use six pounds of lead and a two pound beeliner is down there pecking at it or even biting hard at it, odds are I won't feel it. Um, if I have 20 ounces of weight in the same spot with no current and I get down there still and that same fish bites, I'll probably be able to feel it and I'll probably be able to catch them. Uh, and that's just based on how much lead you need. I've had to use 15 or 20 pounds of lead before fishing in a deep, deep, um, in, in very unideal conditions, just because certain people on the boat wanted to go catch that specific fish. And that's what we were going for. Um, it can be done. It is not effective and it, it is costly in fuel, uh, having to make, you know, third or half mile drifts every time and running back to the start point and trying to make a good drop. And then you said that sometimes it's sharky out there and just sometimes it's not. I mean, that's just a factor that you deal with perhaps. Yeah. And is and, it and shark it, on the bottom or is it shark with the fish struggling on its way back up the water column? The, the, the thing about shark predation out there is it seems to happen when you got a lot of fish that are jumping on your rod a lot and you're not being able to get them up. And I, and I get it. The, the sharks are there preying, you know, they're predators out there on these areas and they're pretty much have a rattle trap pulled right by their face. You know, you got, you got a perfect shark bait coming right by their nose. Majority of the time it's going to be halfway up the water column or even up to the bottom of the boat. I've had them eat it right at the surface before. And, and it seems like if there's one, there's going to be four, it's going to be 10 in a matter of drops. So, it, it 
is not always that bad, but especially in the winter months here, there could be times where I've sat there and looked around the boat and I've counted 20 or, or, or so sharks right there on that one spot. Holy. All right. Yeah. Um, most of them, you know, there is no foolproof way of, of dealing with shark predation other than moving. And when you move, if you're in the same water column and the same water, odds are they're going to follow, you know, even if you run a couple miles, it'll only take them a little, you know, a, a little bit of time too to find you. So I guess another one of my follow-up questions is goes to like boat handling, boat positioning. So I guess like with a couple people on the boat, you're trying to have the boat drift like in a parallel in a perpendicular position so that we can have three or four down the right side or the left side of the boat. So if that is the goal and you can tell me whether it is or isn't, but if it is the goal, then how are you using the engine to sort of delay the drift if the engine isn't in a position to go forward or backward against the current? So, so we'll talk about, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll mention it in the three different conditions. So we got current, we got wind, and we got swell. Um, my boat, a twin outboard, 27 foot Onslow, it enjoys backing into the wind. It wants to be stirred to the wind at, at, at most all costs. So if I've got wind predominant over my current, I'll drift whichever, pretty much whichever way the wind presides. And I want to be pushing my way into the current as I'm dropping so that if I let off, I'm sweeping back over my marks, if that makes sense. So if I've got current over my wind, then I'm going to actually try to back into the current, let my lines out, get in front of me, and then I'm going to bump into neutral and come over top of them as we're hitting the bottom. And it might not be very much you know, articulating of the motors or, or, you know, more than just maybe dropping one motor in reverse just to get them out in front of you. I'll say another technique that, that is very well utilized is staggering the weights. This is huge when it comes to fishing more than one rod. I want my furthest stern. So if I'm stern toward the current, I want my furthest up current bait to be the heaviest and I want everything else to be lighter. So I'll have maybe a two pound cylinder weight and two knots of current on my guys a stern of the boat in the front of the current. And then the guys on the bow, they might be only fishing with 20 ounces. And that way, so when my guys in the back, they drop down, the guys in the front drop down, I'm back into the current. These front rods sweep way out front. And then these guys kind of come straight down and I can see it on my machine as they're breaking apart as they're coming down off the boat. And as I get to the bottom, you know, the marks right here, marks right here, they're coming down, boom. And then I pull the boat over top now I've got four rods fishing, two and two, ideally, and they're spread out maybe 50 or 80 feet on the bottom. I like that uh, staggered weight. I think I'm coming from more of a headboat philosophy where you want everyone dropping the same weight to avoid tangles because you're shoulder to shoulder. But right. on your boat with three, four anglers, that makes sense to have your weight closer to the current and, the, and then a little bit lighter weight just to help avoid what you're trying to avoid on a headboat with everyone having the same weight. Right. Right. So it's, it, you know, it's, it's different strokes for different folks and it's definitely different techniques for, for targeting different species and different depths. And a lot of time, I guess, when you're on headboat fishing, you're either drifting with the current, which is going to keep you straight up and down, or you're going to be on anchor and very little current. Or even if you have a little bit of current on anchor, if everybody's got the same weight, Ideally, you're going to be dropping and, and hitting at the exact same shoulder with you are apart. Um, all things, you know, all things equal. So, I, I mean, I, I feel like we've gone through the show notes. I know I've had a good time just sort of letting this go and asking some follow-up questions. And so, I guess I'd say, what, what, what else, Byron? What else did you have in mind to share or that I didn't set you up to say? I, I would say that, um, I guess first off, uh, you know, there's been a few meetings, you know, by the, by the South Atlantic Fisheries Commission who are, who are adjusting the rates. And, and what I was struck with with their data on um, this fishery is, is how much has gained popularity in the past few years, really. Um, it's staggering the number of recreational anglers that are now going out there and targeting these species. But as electric reels and, and, and sonar technology both advance and cheapen and, and trolling and these other species are are being more regulated 
I can see it growing in popularity and it is a very exciting, a very different technique and, and kind of fishing that a lot of people are used to. Um, with that being said, the limits are pretty small. That's why, you know, it doesn't make feasibility sense to really go out there and recreationally just target uh, deep dropping species. You know, you only get one snowy grouper per vessel, three tile fish per person, uh, three red porgy per person, five bee liners. I mean, you can scrap out a good box, but if you're in those tough conditions and you can only catch one or two fish at a time, even fishing four double hook rigs, it's it might be more effective doing something else. But it, it's a great variety adder and it's a great addition to that trolling um, if you're going to make that run. And I, I say this all just in, in current times when fuel's at such a, a premium. You know, it's costing you, you know, five hundred to a thousand dollars just in fuel to get to these places on people's boats now. Um, that's a lot of money to spend to just go out there and, and try to drop a lead on, on a few fish's head. Um, so I definitely say be ambitious and adapt. And and I think the the most pleasure that most people have found in, in this fishery is not per se using it as a plan B, but really using it as a as an addition to. Um, it, it's, it's kind of just like, you know, having a little spice in your life and, and, and changing things up a bit. And it, it is a really fun fishery to participate in. You can have a lot of fun and you really don't know um, what you're going to pull up. I think the other thing is I also foregone a couple species that I just kind of thought about too, that you'll, you'll be pulling up. One of them is the, uh, the rosy, um, another bottom fish that, that's common, especially in the deeper snowy grouper numbers, um, as well as you've got big trigger fish out there. I've, I've caught in 45 fathoms trigger fish that are up 10 pounds out there and, and plentiful of them. Um, I think another one is a Toro fish and a few other random species. You really don't know what you're going to find down there. Yellow edge grouper dwell down there as well, Otto Beaufort Inlet. And, um, you know, there's some other species I haven't even caught that are out there that are that dwell in the depths that are that deep and nobody really knows about them. Man, uh, I'm glad to hear you say trigger fish because I've been on a couple of slow Wahoo days where we turned to bottom fishing, which basically meant trigger fishing. And I almost asked about it earlier, but I was like, well, if he didn't mention it, he didn't mention it. Maybe that's just something else, you know, maybe not out that far, but yeah, man, great. And I, I would say this is my point just to make sure the audience is clear that while you are a commercial fisherman, you are very much also a charter for hire. And so it is a complementary relationship. You have your charter, your commercial bottom fishing experience makes you more effective as a charter captain, recreational charter captain. And so I guess I would ask you on these trips, if you're booking me, if you're booking clients, do you start the day trolling and then switch over to bottom? Do you start bottom and then switch to troll? How do you run a boat if you've got clients on the boat that have booked you for a charter? You know, Gary, it really just depends on what, what people are, are really sick about. You know, what are they, what are they ill for? You know, if they're like diehard Wahoo fishermen or they really want to catch a yellowfin tuna we'll, we'll shift gears there first or if if guys like dead set i want to catch a blue line tile fish i want to catch a uh, a red porgy or i want to catch my you know a big snowy grouper for us you know that that can be our start and and there could be a mix of both um a technique i like too is you know if i'm dropping at one spot and and we've caught some few fish and it kind of slows down i like to keep things ready to roll so i'll have my riggers already out with the baits just dangling in the water and I have another spot two miles away. I'll just drop my riggers back, kind of troll forward and just have everything kind of go right out, put my planer down and I'm back to trolling. So I, I, I like to mess the two trips together uh, more often than not. It, it's not so much just, you know, Hey, we need to go target this or that current and other conditions that you really don't know for certain until you get out there or it really, you know, it's my tendency to steer crowd one way or the other. Well, Byron, I've enjoyed this conversation, man. This has been a good podcast. It certainly has me excited for bottom fishing opportunities heading into 2022. Um, I also like your style of putting that towboat banner in the background, giving them a plug, man. I, I appreciate your loyalty to them. That's great. And uh, I hope Scott watches this and, and hears that little jab in there. But man, uh, thank you for the time, man. Thank you. Uh, thank you for the relationship. Absolutely, Gary. Thanks so much. Appreciate you and the Fisherman's Post doing everything and uh, uh, ready to be not covered in fiberglass dust. All right, man. Talk <laughs> soon.
All right. Take care. Billy, are you excited to go bottom fishing? Yeah, man. I'm pretty stoked. That was awesome, man. That was a, that was a great episode. Get me fired up. Um, that Cito banner got me fired up. I'm looking at you, Scott. I'm looking at you. You're watching. I know it. Call me. Let's get you on here for real. Let's get you a real banner on the show. <laughs> I think I think that, yeah, man, one of the joys of any bottom fishing trip is you don't know what you're going to pull up. And when you yeah. go out bottom fishing beyond the break, like that is tenfold. That is certainly magnified. Like you really don't know what you might bring up. And I, for me, that's one of the joys of it. Yeah, man, it's super. And I know you've been uh, way more times than I have. So I've, I probably share more of your success stories than I do my own. But every time I go bottom fishing, I just have a good time. And you're right. It's like a surprise. It's like, oh, what is this? I have no idea. What's, can I eat it? No, idiot. Throw it back. Okay. <laughs> you know, so, uh, but man, I get a couple. Well, one takeaway I got early on was just about the freshness of the bait, you know, like keep it fresh and don't, you know, I'm the guy who's like, oh, this is this is old. I don't care. I'm just going to use it because I bought it or caught it or whatever. Um, so that was, that was a pretty good reminder just to keep your, your bait fresh. But then when you started talking about staggering that weight, and I'm telling you, every time I listen to these guys come on here and talk about fishing, I'm like, these guys are like scientists, man. They are calculated. And even though he doesn't have a protractor on the boat, like he knows what he's doing. Like, and it made total sense. I'm like, Oh yeah, this makes sense. Like, However, he was talking about staggering the weight sizes. I, I really latched onto that too, which I heard you did as well during the interview there. So I was like, oh, okay. It was uh, pretty, pretty insightful. If I, if I had a boat, that's what I would do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. I think it's, uh, I like, I like the commercial influence on them. Cause again, it just seems to be a very practical minded approach. Like, no, you don't need to buy fluoro. Just get yourself a roll of 80 pound mono, hundred pound mono. Like, I like, I like that style of fishing. I mean, you know, I'd be on boats where they have the best of everything available. That's fun too, but there's also just a joy, a pleasure in being very practical and being results driven, no fluff, no ego, no, this looks cool or this feels cool, but just let's put some boat in the box. I mean, yeah. put some fish in the box. Yeah, exactly, man. Yep. I like it, man. I like his style. So he's going to be a good time. So make sure you guys go book a trip with him and tell me how it is. Report back and say, man, this guy did it. He did the staggering way. I will, so cool. I will book a trip with him and I will report back. <laughs> I know you will. It's probably already on your calendar. <laughs> <laughs> he already knows like, God, I got to work hard that day to get Gary handing him the rod. So <laughs> <laughs> that's All right. right well, it's been super fun, Gary. And we just want to thank our uh, sponsors of the show. Once again, Marine Warehouse Center. Thank you guys so much for sponsoring the show. Also, Bland Landscaping Company as well. Uh, and our our sponsors support us. So please, if you can support them in any way uh, by you know buying their services or going in with Bland and working for them and doing a really good job, then we really appreciate it. Uh, we really appreciate their support. And if you want to support the show, reach out to me, Billy at fishermanspost.com and we can send you the information if you would like your company or you to sponsor the show, <laughs> Scott Cito. <laughs> so <laughs> anyway, Gary, anything else, man? Otherwise we'll get out of here. No, man. Great show. All right. Great show. We'll talk to you soon.